This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Please stand for the reading of God's word. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's word. Let's pray as we come now to study God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to take in deeply these profound words of Jesus. We want to... Say again, have thine own way, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for your prayers for me the last week. uh, Some of you will know I was in Ukraine uh, from uh, Monday through to Thursday, where I arrived Tuesday. And uh, it was a quick trip. I appreciate your prayers very much. I was there speaking at a conference uh, emphasizing the need for Ukraine to be a country without orphans and trying to stir up the church to respond to the orphan situation in that country. It was a great time uh, visiting with some of our missionaries and uh, meeting many local Christian leaders as well. And my message uh, then was to make sure that the word and therefore the gospel is at the heart of this movement that's developing themes that you'll find familiar from my preaching here. And so thank you for your prayers. Well, as we come to this uh, passage uh, this morning uh, on anger, it is, of course, of great relevance, isn't it, to every single one of us here this morning. I remember when I was really quite young and just becoming thoughtful about Jesus' teaching, probably 10 years old or so. And uh, my prayer at that time was, uh, Lord, please help me with my anger. I I was quite a big 10-year-old, and I liked to play rugby. And when there was a problem, there was always an easy solution. And even at that age, that didn't seem to be exactly falling through on Jesus' teaching. So I used to pray, Lord, help me with my anger. Anger is a multi-million dollar business. 
2003-2004, Kill Bill, Volumes 1 and 2. Quentin Tarantino made his name for rather gory and bloody movies. More recently, his movie Django Unchained, which has as the tagline, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Vengeance. World of Warcraft, the online video game, it had uh, over 10 million subscribers as of October 2012. Fight Club. Game of Thrones. It's a multi-million dollar business. And whereas in the evangelical world, lust, which Jesus will talk about next week, is viewed as disreputable, in the evangelical world, there are certain kinds of R-rated movies that it's okay to watch when you're of a certain age, at least. And I'm not saying, you know, some movies should not be watched and some should be watched. I'm not getting into that kind of culture dissemination battle. I'm just saying we don't really talk about anger. Anger can be commendably machismo, being a tough guy, or a sort of sisterhood right of revenge, Kill Bill. That movie there was on that theme. It seems to me that actually anger is our culture's hidden tsunami. We have passive-aggressive behavior. We can't really express what we feel, and so we manipulate the situation in order to get the result we want. We have repressed emotions that sometimes are revealed in low spirits, even depression. People that we really care about at one level, we still have a relational distance with because There's a frigidity that's entered in because we're angry and we don't want to actually hit them (laughs) and yet we feel like that and so we keep a distance. It's easy to recognize the problem. Solving it is not so easy. Perhaps you remember another line from an earlier movie which was called Anger Management, the same title of the, the sermon this morning, the title I gave for the sermon this morning, in that the psychologist at one point says this, a temper is the one thing you cannot get rid of by losing it. Oh, yeah. It may feel therapeutic to kick a box or pound a pillow, and there may be some sort of cathartic effect, perhaps, a sort of gestalt therapy in its raw energy. But too often, it's just a form of beating ourselves up. We can't beat the person up with whom we are angry, and so we hit ourselves inside. And that's uh, rarely healthy, and yet rather widely practiced. We're too civilized to kill, and yet we're not able to prevent kill, bill, like anger. We don't really want to fight someone and yet we want to take out our anger by watching Fight Club or something similar. 
Well, there are many reasons to feel angry today. Uh, perhaps uh, you're worried about whether you're going to get a job when you graduate. Uh, perhaps there's been something that's genuinely awful that has happened to you in your past. But what are we to do with these uh, feelings? Well, Jesus has the solution. And it's enmeshed in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We've, we've seen, haven't we, that last week uh, Jesus is telling us that the whole Scripture can only really be understood when we see that he fulfills it. Jesus makes sense of Scripture. All the different disparate elements of Scripture are only possibly correctly interpreted as fulfilled in him. And at the cross where love and mercy mingle, truth and justice meet. Nothing else can make sense of the law and the prophets, that summary statement for the Scriptures at the time. It's all fulfilled in Him and who He is and what He did. We saw that last week, and the Pharisees didn't get that, and well, at least some of them didn't get that, and so they were relaxing the law. They were interpreting it permissively, asking what they could get away with rather than asking how it could be fulfilled in Jesus and His death for us on the cross. But those who are following Jesus, they're the Beatitude Christians. They are empty of themselves and yet filled with God and by His Spirit. They become a new people. They're the sword of the earth, the light of the world, the global spiritual illuminators, the global moral preservative. And so Jesus is teaching on these themes, isn't He? He's teaching. And then right by the end of the sermon, they'll realize that he is teaching as one who has authority. That is, it's not his ethic, his morality that's so unique. It's his person, who he is. Jesus himself, the king, teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And now we enter a new section where that theme is further developed. You'll see it runs from verse 21 to verse 48 in your Bibles. And it's a new sort of development in uh, the sermon. And you can tell it's a distinct section because there's a repeated refrain in it, which is, you have heard that it was said, and then what they had heard that it was said, and then Jesus saying, but I say to you, the I, the divine I is teaching, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so he's uh, finding the solution to this anger in his own teaching, in his own person. Jesus is um, explaining how the uh, common interpretation of the Scriptures at the time in this section were incorrect. He's not teaching against the Old Testament. No, it's all fulfilled in him. He's teaching against the Pharisaic interpretation of Moses and the Scriptures. When Jesus quotes from Scripture, he uses uh, the verb gegraptai, which means it stands written. Here he uses uh, the, the word erethe, which is it was said. It's hearsay instead of God say. And you've got to understand the situation at the time. At the time, they'd just come back or recently come back from exile, and many of them knew Aramaic, but they didn't know the biblical Hebrew languages. And so they were having to rely upon the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees, a bit like uh, people in medieval Europe had to rely upon the teaching of others because they couldn't read the Bible in Latin. Immediately, there's an application, isn't there, for us this morning? We have the Bible, 
in English. We must be grateful. You know, uh, the Romanian dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu, when he was dictator in the former Soviet Union for quite a long time, and uh, at one point, uh, Western Christians imported Bibles to Romania, and he had his henchmen grind the Bibles up into pulp and ship them back to the West as toilet paper. The book you have open before you, I trust. I trust you have it open. In English is a book that people have died that you might read. Be grateful. You don't have to rely upon hearsay. You have heard that it was said. And of course, that, well, that means that we as a church should not be saying, so-and-so preacher says. We should be saying the Bible says. And if you're at your college or university, you shouldn't be saying, oh, it must be true because professor so-and-so says. <laughs> you've got to think for yourself. Or you've got to read it yourself. You have the Bible in English. And so we enter this new section from verse 21 to verse 48. And in particular, this morning, we're looking at, at anger and Jesus' solution to anger in his own person and in his own teaching. And it may be summarized like this. Seek reconciliation immediately. It's that simple, Jesus is saying, and of course that difficult. Seek reconciliation immediately. And to help us with that, he gives us uh, first a warning, and uh, you'll see this in verses 21 and 22. And the warning that Jesus is giving here is that anger in heart, anyone who's angry with his brother, and in words who insults, or the, the word there is an Aramaic raka word, uh, his brother, uh, anger in heart or words is still murder. A principle. It's the same uh, the same um, uh, result, the same judgment will be given because in principle it's the same thing. That's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? And of course, uh, do not murder is the sixth of the Ten Commandments. You'll find in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy, of course. But uh, the phrase, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, that's an addition uh, by the Pharisaic interpreters of that sixth commandment. And by adding that phrase, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, what they're doing is they're emphasizing the physical nature of the command. Do not murder, and whoever actually physically murders, that's really what it's about, they were saying, they will be liable to judgment. They're focusing on the physical act, not the heart cause. But the Ten Commandments are all about the heart, of course. The start and the end and the middle, the heart is in focus, the first command. Have no other gods before me. It's a heart command. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. It's a heart command. The tenth, do not covet. Heart command. Well, the same with do not murder. There's a physical act, but in principle, 
It's the same thing Jesus is saying. That's a pretty profound warning, isn't it? As he teaches correctly the Old Testament Ten Commandments. There they were redemptive, leading to obedience. God who brought you out of Egypt, now obey. Same pattern. You have entered the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Be empty of yourselves, filled with God. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Having been redeemed, now obey. Redemption and therefore obedience. Same pattern here. It's a heart matter and it's an important warning. I remember one person that uh, some of us got to know a little bit some years ago who was always getting into arguments with people. And when she got into an argument, she would say this, I gave him a piece of my mind. And then we'd hear that, and there'd be someone else. And she'd say, you know, and I gave him a piece of my mind too. And I gave him a piece of my mind. And after a while, we began to think, is she going to have any mind left? And gave him another piece of my mind. Huh. We need to be warned about anger. Here's a bit like a, a, a warning I heard once on a physics laboratory laser, which said, don't look into the laser beam with your remaining eye. <laughs> Everybody who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Just underline that word, angry, would you? What do we say in our culture? We say, if looks could kill. And see, that's the issue, isn't it? When we're angry with someone, at a basic level, we are actually wishing they were dead. We may not have the opportunity. We may realize that the criminal code today and the rather active police system makes it an unwise thing to do. But if looks could kill, they would. Now, at this point, it's important that we distinguish between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. There is something called righteous anger. Martin Luther used to say that he never wrote or spoke so well as when he was angry. Uh, But though there is something called righteous anger, we should not hide behind that excuse to be rather unrighteously angry. Let me distinguish it for us like this. Righteous anger is sacrificing for what is right. It's sacrificing yourself for what is right. Unrighteous anger is sacrificing other people for what you want at the expense of what is right. Righteous anger is sacrificing yourself for what is right. Unrighteous anger is sacrificing others for what you want at the expense of what is right. The one is the cross. The other is the seed of hell. The one is rare. The other is frequent. The one is Christ-like, the other is devil-like. The one is lovely, the other is hateful. Righteous anger is an expression of love. Unrighteous anger is not. And I suppose if you have any doubt which it is that you're feeling, (laughs) uh, if we have any doubt which it is that we are feeling, It's more likely than not, isn't it, that it's unrighteous, especially if you stand to gain by its expression, or the other person with whom you are angry will lose. Almost certainly unrighteous anger. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt put it like this, anger is only one letter short of danger. 
In your anger, do not sin, as the Bible says. It's most likely to be unrighteous. Be warned about anger. Churchill said, uh, a man is only as big as that which makes him angry. And most of us are rather small. Being cut in line by another car. Someone offends us. They're offending God or me. Anger. Words. Uh, the insult, as I said, is uh, Aramaic uh, word raka here in the, originally in the text. Raka is a bit like calling someone empty-headed. It means empty. That's the insult. It's saying that someone is a, a waste of space. Uh, fall is uh, more serious. We say that sticks and stones uh, may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. But actually, words can do great damage or do great healing. And fool is rather more serious. Jesus himself, though, called people fool. Uh, he said the Pharisees are blind fools, Matthew 23, verse 17. He told a parable about the foolish virgins or the parable of the rich fool in Luke. A different word for fool there. Or Paul in 1 Corinthians told the Corinthians to become as fools, that they might become wise, that is, stop boasting. So we need to interpret this uh, by its context, by the intention of Jesus, not literalistically or legalistically. So why is this use of fool here particularly bad? I think it's uh, referring to Psalm 14, where the fool, we're told, says in his heart, there is no God. So to call someone fool in this sense here means not just using the word, but using it in a way that is intended to say this person is spiritually outside of salvation. It's not just calling someone stupid, which is a bit more like raka or that insult. It's calling someone unsaved. It's not just literally saying the word fool. And we've said the word many times fool in the last couple of minutes. <laughs> not just saying it, it's meaning something by it. It's saying, go to hell and meaning it. It's, it's the judgment in this context here that someone is going to hell. And of course, to do that is to be in danger of hell ourselves. For that is the one judgment that only Jesus can make. Hell here is Gehenna. Gehenna was the rubbish tip to the south of Jerusalem, a place that was thought to be constantly burning, a fire that never went out where worms were chewing through garbage all the time. It was also the place where in the old days uh, babies were sacrificed to pagan gods. And so it became a metaphor for hell. It would be a bit like today uh, calling hell by the name for one of the smoking towers at Auschwitz. Anger is serious. Be warned. Well, then how do we solve it? Jesus tells us. This is his technique, and you'll find this from verse 23 to the end. And His technique is unnervingly simple. 
It is immediate reconciliation. Or if you like acrostics, it is D-I-N, do it now. Uh, Apparently simple, actually quite difficult, isn't it? Uh, Jesus gives two areas uh, for us to focus upon, the one religious and the other secular. Surprisingly for many people, Jesus is quite clear that the worship place is not necessarily devoid of fractured relationships. but also the secular space. He's saying, actually, my teaching works in the world as well. Sometimes we think, don't we, Jesus is only good for church. And and here Jesus is saying, no, I'm good uh, if someone is suing you as well. I'm good on the way to the law court as well. So the religious space. And Jesus' teaching here is, uh, quite simply, Emphasized by the one rather remarkable word he uses in verse 24. And that word is first. So there we are in the worship space and we're all focused upon God and he must be first, surely. And yet Jesus says in this instance, first comes reconciliation with another human being. <laughs> It's so important that we understand why Jesus is right here. Perhaps you've been following the very strange piece of news recently about the Amish sect leader who has been sentenced to 15 years in jail for orchestrating a series of beard-cutting attacks. It's an astonishing piece of news, isn't it? I almost thought it was an onion report initially. You can imagine a series of beard-cutting attacks, you know. But we're not uh, immune from such things ourselves, are we? One person who's a minister told me of his father, who was also a minister in another denomination, and uh, he told me of a story of some deacons in that church. One time they had a visiting preacher, and uh, the deacons were causing some trouble, and the visiting preacher said to this man's father, the minister, you really need to get a handle on those deacons and sort them out. Well, the, uh, the week went on, and they had a congregational meeting about some matter or other. And in the midst of the congregational meeting, one deacon stood up and started arguing with another deacon. And they got so intense that they started insulting each other, and indeed, a blow was exchanged. And this man's father, who's the pastor, then leant over to the visiting preacher and said, those are the deacons, you control them. <laughs> now, we may not actually come to blows, but we may want to. First, Jesus says, first be reconciled to that person. So there's the worshiper at the altar offering the gift. He's remembering his brother has something against him. He, he leaves uh, the worship immediately and then comes back afterwards to offer his gift. Someone said that if we took Jesus' words seriously, how many people would there actually be in church? That's a a fair comment, I suppose. I do wonder, though, whether this is more like personal devotions in our culture or the great European cathedral, whether it's a private prayer booth or something. After a public service, if you ran out right now to be reconciled to someone, you might find there are a lot of other people here that you had to be reconciled with afterwards, you see what I mean? Disturbing or something. But if you're reading the Bible and you're praying, or you're driving uh, down the road, or you're going for a jog and you've got your iPhones 
in your, your iPhone ear, uh, earphones in your ears, and you're listening to some worship song, and you remember that someone has something against you, Jesus is saying, don't carry on, stop. He can wait. It's a remarkable teaching, isn't it? First, be reconciled. Now, note, will you, the emphasis here on uh, people who have something against us. Jesus is very carefully expressing it that way. It's not people with whom we have something against. In other words, this is not an excuse to go round to prove to anyone that we were right after all. No, this is focused on them, not upon ourselves. It's their benefit, not to prove that we were right. And then we act immediately, even if it means interrupting devotions. First, be reconciled. I think this is why it is so important that married couples pray together every evening before they go to sleep. I don't know about you, but it's actually quite hard to pray with someone that you are mad with. You're at the altar, and it forces you first to be reconciled. Jesus is saying, do it now, even in the religious space, even in worship. Sort this out first. But then there's also the secular sphere here. And the key word uh, you'll find uh, for this aspect of the teaching is in verse 25. And instead of saying first, that is, this reconciliation comes first, he now says, quickly, quickly. And again, this is so important, even on the way to court or in some situation a bit like that. See, once legal proceedings begin, it's usual just to carry on, isn't there? And there's no stopping. There's no stopping it once that kind of thing begins. Legal fees have to be paid. Some of that will come from winning. Or once you've gone down that route, now you're invested. Your, your identity, your status is invested. Your face is at stake. It's embarrassing to stop. And Jesus says, quickly, be reconciled. And again, this is so important. Jesus' teaching is so important in the world, in the secular world. It works there too. If you're thinking about following Jesus, his teaching works in business and in the legal world as well. Think of um, the news recently about uh, those Baoshoi, the Russian ballet, the attacks on the artistic director last month who had an acid attack and may lose sight in one eye. Just because there's anger that hasn't been dealt with. Jesus is saying, quickly, don't delay, quickly. Do it now. Even if the person is not a Christian, Jesus isn't uh, aiming this only at his followers. He's talking about his followers with anyone. So Paul tells us that in the local church, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 6, where there's a body of elders, or there are mature Christians who can exercise authority and are wise to bring arbitration. Uh, Those of us in the local church should not uh, take each other to court. There should be those who are wise enough to make a judgment and bring peace. Well, that's certainly true. But Jesus is not talking only about that. If you're in a lawsuit with anyone, even an accuser, he says, 
Now, there are times when Christians are able to take people to courts. There's a reason why there are courts in the land, and it's sometimes right for Christians to use them to uphold an important moral principle. But if possible, Jesus is saying, even if the process has begun, seek arbitration. Find a way to settle things before you go all the way. Your lawyer may be saying to you, you'll have your day in court. And that may sound like then all the problems will go away, and sometimes, indeed, there can be a victory. But often, it is just as Jesus said, the money will all be used up. (laughs) I uh, like to read Charles Dickens sometimes. He's a, a good relief for those of us who cannot stand watching Downton Abbey because they want to watch something more male. And uh, there's a movie of one of Charles Dickens' famous books called Bleak House. And this movie is all centers around, and the the story originally centers around a court called the Court of Chancery, which no longer exists in England, but it was historically known for being a place where you very rarely found real justice. And the whole story centers around these people coming to the Court of Chancery, thinking they're going to get rich, and actually ending up with nothing. That's what Jesus is saying. It's true in any situation, especially if you're likely to be thrown in jail, debtor's jail, or have your house taken away. Seek arbitration. Sort it out before you get there. Do it uh, now. So then, why is it that we don't follow Jesus' advice? Well, I think Jesus tells us with his uh, use of these words. Uh, Quickly, he says, but we so often procrastinate. Procrastination prevents reconciliation. Someone once said this, uh, when in charge, ponder. When in trouble, delegate. When in doubt, mumble. But when angry, reconcile. Don't procrastinate quickly. What else prevents us following Jesus' simple but difficult advice? Well, I think pride. Uh, We want to insult the person that we are angry with. Uh, We call them raka, empty headed, block headed. Perhaps we don't say it out loud, but inside we're saying, oh, he's an idiot. Our pride. But if you want to win back a friend, you have to be willing to lose face. George Muller, the great 19th century Christian leader who set up orphanages in in Bristol, in England, uh, once said this, there was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Muller and his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame of even my brethren and friends, and since then I've studied only to show myself approved unto God. To win back a friend, you may have to lose face. Don't just say, oh, he's an idiot, he's, he's the one in the wrong, what a fool. It's pride, isn't it, that's preventing reconciliation. Perhaps uh, most often, though, for us in Christian circles, 
What prevents reconciliation is not so much procrastination, though that can be true, or pride, though that certainly can be true, but most often it is, in fact, piety. That's why Jesus says this remarkable thing, first be reconciled uh, to your brother. You know, here we are, we're worshipping, and it's all about God, and we'll leave these other things till later. We're involved in some great movement for Christ. We have some kingdom agenda and a whole series of people that we have uh, enmity towards. We'll leave that till later. We're too busy writing a book or a prayer letter (laughs) to be reconciled to those on our team on the mission field. First, Jesus says, don't let your piety prevent reconciliation. John Oxenham, the poet, put it like this, to every man that openeth the way, and some men climb the highway, and some men grope below, and in between on the misty flats the rest drift to and fro, and to every man that openeth the highway and a low, and every man decideth which way his soul shall go. Can't hide behind a cloak of piety. I'm just really going to pray about this for another day or week or year. You have to decide to reconcile. Well, how do we uh, then take Jesus' advice? We listen to his warning. In essence, he is saying that anger is a seed of hell that must be weeded out lest it become full grown. Now, just take that in, will you? Frederick uh, Buchner once said that, uh, the, uh, that anger, he, he felt, was the most fun of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is what you are wolfing down is yourself. Be warned. Well, how are we going to do it? Well, there's a technique Jesus has given us. And you say, well, it doesn't sound very precise. I need it spelt out, all the procedure. I need to know whether to you know, do this or that first or this or that and follow this way or this way. I need it all spelled out with great precision and detail. But Jesus doesn't give us that. Why is that? Because so often that's just a delay tactic. Here's the technique. Now. So why is that so important? Listen to this Chinese proverb. The fastest horse cannot catch a word spoken in anger. (laughs) So this is not something to sleep on, think further about, write a book about, pray about, tell someone else about, joke about. There's lots of humor here, isn't there, really? This person running out of the worship service to go and get, you know. How ridiculous. You heard the joke about the dyslexic insomniac. He lay awake all night wondering if there really is a dog. How ridiculous. That person is actually going to go down on his knees and beg for reconciliation? Absurd. 
You heard about that law case? You'll be talking to the barber on Monday morning. He, he just broke it off midway. Ridiculous. Look all the money he wasted. Uh, you can lie awake all night, pray at length, wondering what God wants you to do when truly the answer is before you. In front of you, next to you, that person. Be reconciled. Now. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us with this. We pray for your strength. We don't want to pray in a way that's going to delay. We do pray that you would give us the strength by your Spirit to do what we have committed uh, to do. Make us a captive, Lord, and then we shall be free. Force us to render up our sword, and we shall conqueror be. In the name of Jesus, amen.